Hello and welcome to this edition of the Ranking the Albums podcast, the podcast where I review classic artists by ranking each of their studio albums from worst to best. This time I'm reviewing the albums of Jimi Hendrix, or more precisely, the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Although nominally a band of three, the band were, as their name suggests, a vehicle for Hendrix, a prodigious visionary musician whose singular talent as a guitarist and as a studio innovator has never been bettered. Widely regarded as the greatest guitarist of all time, Hendrix's musical beginnings were not wholly auspicious, playing as a backup guitarist for the likes of Little Richard and the Everly Brothers. That R&B background partly explains Hendrix's soulful and rootsy playing, but like Led Zeppelin's Jimmy Page, who has similar frustrations and ambitions as a session musician, it's also unsurprising that Hendrix had greater ambitions when he eventually became a solo artist. And he was first spotted by Chaz Chandler in 1966 in a New York club. Chandler had been the bassist with the Animals. And Chandler proposed that Hendrix move to London to record as a solo act in England and that he'd be Jimmy's manager. A new group was built around Jimmy with Mitch Mitchell playing often frenzied jazz-inspired drums with Noel Redding uh, anchoring the project on bass. The group was dubbed the Jimi Hendrix Experience and broke through in the UK with incredible speed, releasing Hey Joe, Purple Haze and The Wind Cries Mary as singles over the course of 66 uh, and 67. And these singles laid the groundwork for groundbreaking albums, also produced at dizzying speed with growing complexity and studio trickery with each release. The Experience's 66 to 68 output was a jaw-droppingly fertile period of creativity, and one Hendrix couldn't match again in the two following years before his death in September 1970, partly down to his increasing dependency on drugs and alcohol. The Experience only delivered three albums, but their impact upon rock music, especially heavy rock and psychedelia, was and continues to be deep and lasting. And that's the case on several fronts. For instance, the heavily amplified, feedback-laden, bass-heavy sounds found on the Experience's records became de rigueur, and the incorporation of guitar effects pedals from the wah-wah pedal to distortion pedals, phaser and flanges, are commonplace in rock music now, and it's hard to imagine that without Hendrix's determination to modify the sonic palette of rock music. Now, riffs were already part and parcel of rock music by the time Hendrix came along, but it's notable how, with so many of his songs, the melodic hooks tend to come from the guitar playing itself. So I'm thinking Crosstown Traffic, Fire, Purple Haze, Burning of the Midnight Lamp, there's so many examples. Although occasionally Dylan-influenced lyrically, Hendrix's lyrics were not especially literary. His style nonetheless embodied countercultural values of letting his freak flag fly, as he puts it on, if six was nine. And lyrically, he was in turn openly sexually promiscuous, as on Foxy Lady, and he was fantastical too, as on 1983, A Merman Should I Turn to Be. A flatly competent rather than gifted vocalist, his singing style is expressive without dominating. His more soulful tunes, like The Wind Cries Mary and Little Wing, are delivered in a tender croon. He more often than not compensates for a lack of range with characteristic ticks on tunes like Foxy Lady. But critically, Hendrix peaked at a time when the creative potential for the album format was developing rapidly. Song durations were stretching, and audiences were increasingly open-minded to what popular music could sound like. 
while the avant-garde sounds of the Velvet Underground and Captain Beefheart were contemporaneous, they were underground and only listened to by a select few. Hendrix, however, was relatively mainstream for a radical sonic innovator, and his commitment to seeking uncharted territory in popular music is shown throughout his three albums with the experience. So, at number three, we have Are You Experienced? Um, the Experience's first album, released in 1967, and I should stress that I'm placing the UK version of the record in third place and not the US version. The crucial difference between the two is that the singles um, released in the UK... Um, hey Joe, Purple Haze, The Wind Cries Mary, were left off the UK version, but do feature on the US version. And that's the problem for the UK version, um, because those songs are brilliant and indelible and easily within the top ten, you know, within my top ten Hendrix tracks, if not the top five. And I'm not saying the UK version isn't a great record in its own right, but the songs that feature on the UK version instead are just not in the same league. That's not to say the barroom blues of Red House is unenjoyable, likewise the soft but repetitive uh, Remember, and Can You See Me is really good with its dizzying guitar bends, but yeah, you're really missing those three tracks. Um, the opening track, Foxy Lady, with its prowling feedback, crashing cymbals and whispered come-ons, presents the acceptable face of cock rock. The lasciviousness is slightly undermined on several occasions when <laughs> Jimmy's smoker's cough gets the better of him. The second track, Manic Depression, is suitably manic, a bolero blues propelled by Mitch Mitchell's tumbling toms. The rest of the songs in the first half of the record are good, but not quite as sensational. Following the aforementioned Red House and Can You See Me are two tracks, Love or Confusion and I Don't Live Today, which I find a bit busy and melodically unsatisfying. Even still, the weaker songs showcase Hendrix's use of the studio, using techniques like panning, fuzz tones and feedback to vivify these otherwise dormant tracks. At certain times on this record, the studio can't quite take the volume, which results in clipping on tracks like Can You See Me and Are You Experience? And I think we should take a lenient view on that, given the unprecedented volumes, the studio limitations at the time, and the sky-high ambitions that uh, Jimmy had at this point in time. But the reason that I think this is the weakest experience album is for me that the second half of the record hangs together really awkwardly. There's one thing to be said for uh, Hendrix's sonic innovation and diverse songcraft, but the track listing ends up being a little too uneven. Fire feels like the start of a setlist kind of song, and it's pure classic rock and riff-driven. Unfortunately, it's placed between the lush May This Be Love and the meandering cosmic jam Third Stone From The Sun. That said, the title track of Are You Experience is a mesmeric masterpiece, with its shimmering backwards guitars in an Indian register, its tolling piano, and a double entendre lyric. It finishes the record on a satisfying note, which does make up somewhat for the second half of the record. One thing I noticed listening back to these albums is how Redding and Mitchell's presence is far more pronounced on this record. There's fewer overdubs of different session musicians, fewer overdubs of, of Hendrix's guitar parts. It feels like the work of a trio rather than a man and his backing band. Chaz Chandler's determination to capture Hendrix on record and give him free reign over the band's sound was instrumental to his success. But this is perhaps more noticeable on subsequent records, where Mitchell's manic Keith Moon-esque drum fills aren't quite so ubiquitous. Overall, Are You Experience had a revolutionary effect on the psychedelic and heavy rock genres in the short term, and guitar music more broadly in the long term. 
in either its UK or US incarnation, it is a landmark record. It just happens to be the case that is next to improve it upon its blueprint. So at number two, we have Axis Boulder's Love, remarkably also released in 1967. And this time, perhaps to address the debut's rough edges and studio's shortcomings, there's a greater emphasis on studio craft, with techniques like phasing used liberally. Hendrix also incorporates funk stylings, mellow moments and heartfelt sensitivity in amongst the psychedelic imagery. And the mastery of studio trickery that Hendrix is renowned for comes to the fore with this record, but there's also a great subtlety to the arrangements too. Rather than relying on raw aggression and feedback to offer basically a more talented version of The Who, the experience are a far more flexible outfit on this record. The only track where they show some muscle is Spanish Castle Magic. Its pummeling riffs hit home harder than any song on their debut, but it's quite an atypical song for this record. The generally more mellow material on Axis represented a significant growth in Jimmy's songwriting and I think holds up better in retrospect in comparison to the debut. Wait Until Tomorrow's Gentle Pop is lovely, Up From the Sky's Jazzy Shuffle is chilled and laid back, and even on the throwaway tracks like You Got Me Floating and Ain't No Telling, they kind of rattle along with a great sense of effortless fun. There's a few poor moments, for instance, uh, Noel Redding's She's So Fine sounds like a B-side by The Who, EXP is a spoken words, feedback-laden oddity that starts the album on an absurd, off-kilter note. If Six Was Nine, despite its clanky two-note riff and proud lyrical proclamations of individualism, does meander off. Probably quite the trip in the 1960s, but in amongst the otherwise tight and strong songs it feels a little wanky. But arguably the joy of Hendrix is all in the guitar playing rather than the songs per se, which on this record manages to be airy, spacey, funky and pretty. Few of the other great guitarists can be said to have their playing described in such a way. One Rainy Wish with its cascading, pretty guitar lines is a case in point. Like Are You Experience, Boulder's Love is a sublime closer and title track. It has an epic chord progression with intricate, delicate fills throughout. The song suspends on a false ending and shifts suddenly to a spacey conclusion with a flanged drum solo and harpsichord tinkling. It's the cherry on top of an album that I think rewards repeated listens. Hendrix's guitar playing almost every last lick is lush, crisp and unpredictable. It's not an album of Hendrix's best-known tunes, but this record is an underrated, overlooked, concise album of guitar genius and bold studio innovation. In many ways, though, it's merely the warm-up for the main event, which is a masterpiece of psychedelic rock music, a double album of musical adventure that's up there with The White Album and Exile on Main Street, and, and a sonic adventure to match Sgt. Pepper. And that's their third album, Electric Ladyland, released in 1968. Now, this album is something of a musical odyssey. It has throwaway jam tracks like Rainy Day, Dream Away, and lean, hook-filled tunes such as Crosstown Traffic and Gypsy Eyes. And then there's consciously uh, elongated epic tracks like the 14-minute Voodoo Child and the 13-and-a-half-minute long 1983. Hendrix accommodates soloists from outside the experience, mainly from the contemporary British band Traffic. So you have Steve Winwood's cranked organ on Voodoo Child and Chris Wood's flute on 1983. And it feels more, much more like Hendrix's project 
The fact that Hendrix, rather than Noel Redding, plays bass on half a dozen of the tracks underscores this point. Redding at this time had formed his own band uh, called Fat Mattress. Um, I've never listened to them. Chaz Chandler by this time had grown frustrated by Hendrix's excess and sizeable entourage who often joined him in the studio, and he didn't survive for much longer as, as Hendrix's manager. And by this point, Hendrix had exerted full control. The liner notes of this record make clear that it's, it's an album produced and directed by Jimi Hendrix. So this is a solo album in all but name. A major reason why this album comes out on top of my list is, is Hendrix's sensible sequencing. The two epic tracks dominate sides one and three, but are separated by plenty of accessible hook-laden tunes of more digestible lengths. If there's a more distinct sound to Electric Ladyland, it's Hendrix's more considered blending of R&B and psychedelia. This is particularly evident on the near title track, Have You Ever Been to Electric Ladyland, a pretty Curtis Mayfield-inspired soul tune. It follows on from the trippy, effects-heavy instrumental opener and The Gods Made Love, which works better for the fact it doesn't go on for longer than 90 seconds. The title track in isolation is also quite strange and trippy, like a, like a band playing from outer space, but it also feels like a warm welcome to this strange world after such a disconcerting start. Crosstown traffics, uh, crunching guitars and droning pianos mark a return to more conventional classic rock territory uh, were it not for all the kazoos on the track. It's interesting that the first three tracks follow the exact same blueprint as Axis, the trippy non-musical opener, a more relaxed, jazzier second track, and a punchy heavy rock song. The fourth track, however, decisively breaks with that formula. Recorded live to a small audience at Record Plant New York City, it's a rewrite of Muddy Waters's Rolling Stone. Whereas previous tracks are dense and detailed, Judy Child's improvisation is soaring and unpredictable, even for what is a blues standard. Even if it's very much of its time and illustrative of Six's excess, I particularly love Steve Winwood's gurgling organ on this track, which is in combat with Hendrix's vicious guitars. I also really enjoy the hand claps and mock heckling from the no doubt stoned audience. The second side of the record is more straightforward, with Noel Redding's colourful light and slight Little Miss Strange providing some breathing space after the relentless voodoo child. And it vaguely sounds like a traffic song, actually. Long Hot Summer Night is laid back, with Hendrix's backing vocals floating and fun. Come On and Let the Good Times Roll is as fun as the title suggests. It's a cover of an Earl King song. It's a pre-experienced, pre-psychedelia slice of faithful R&B with some of the crunchiest warm tone you'll ever hear on a guitar. Gypsy Eyes is a delicious blues funk monster and has arguably dated far better than any other Hendrix track. Released as a single in 1967, Burning of the Midnight Lamp, with its harpsichord and wah-wah pedal pattern, is much more of its time, but it's a big reverb-heavy sound backed by ghostly backing singers, and it makes it one of the highlights of the record. The third and the fourth side of the record start with effectively the same song. Rainy Day Dream Away is an intro jam to the Third Side's showpiece event 1983, and, and the track has conga, saxophone, and an unmistakable swing. 
It shows Jimmy's willingness to fuse elements of jazz and improvisation into his work. The same is the case with 1983, with, with flutes floating in and out. It's one of the album's centerpieces, a textured, complex piece of music with backwards guitars, feedback that synthesizes the sounds of seagulls, and a wobbly-sounding flexitone contributing to the nautical theme. Lyrically, Hendrix wishes to reject the horrible war-torn world and escape to live at sea as a merman, or a male mermaid, rather. The fourth side of the record starts with Still Raining, Still Dreaming, which is an unwelcome reprise of Rainy Day Dream Away. The stomping house burning down recovers the album's momentum, but ultimately it's a mere preamble to the finale, consisting of two of Hendrix's masterpieces on his finest album. In its original incarnation on the John Wesley Harding album, Bob Dylan's All Along the Watchtower is a minor key brooding track, its ominous verses broken up by Dylan's harmonica wail. Hendrix's version draws out its implied drama and intensity, with insistent acoustic guitars, rattling percussion, and varied wailing lead lines. If All Along the Watchtower is a precisely crafted guitar epic, Voodoo Child's Slight Return benefits from fiery spontaneity. It kicks into life after its iconic introduction, a hushed, anticipatory opening where Jimmy's crackling wah-wah is interrupted only by timely bass drum and hi-hat hits. The song is sublime throughout, but there's arguably not a more explosive moment in all of rock music than when, at around 30 seconds into the track, the sonic force of Hendrix's guitar intensifies as the drums crash in. As the title implies, the song is a sister track to the Voodoo Child Jam earlier on in the album, but it's a much more lean and strangely catchy track for what is largely an instrumental. Electric Ladyland is not without its flaws. The improvisational nature of the tracks can either be seen as redolent of the times or meandering in the extreme. There is a lingering feeling of style over substance on some of the lesser tracks, and it doesn't have the focus or the craft of Axis Baldur's Love. But personally, I like the sprawling nature of this record. You get Hendrix the improviser and Hendrix the craftsman. There's clever, catchy pop songs and there's wild, expansive guitar epics. It's a record that showcases the full extent of Hendrix's talent. As Hendrix descended into a spiral of drug addiction, alcoholism, violence and unpredictability, the experience split up in 1969. Hendrix formed the Band of Gypsies, an all-black power trio. With them, he released a live album of the same name, Band of Gypsies, in in 69. Its funk rock sound is solid, and clearly the band could knock out a groove, but the songwriting just isn't quite there. Machine Gun, with its rapid-fire drum hits and anti-Vietnam sentiment, is an impressive exception, but for me the album represents a massive drop in quality. There have been more than a few posthumous Hendrix records, But as this podcast reviews the discography of the band known as the Jimi Hendrix Experience, I don't feel inclined to cover all of these, and we could be here all day. (laughs) In terms of Hendrix compilation, Smash Hits is pretty essential. Released in 1967, it brings together most of Hendrix's singles, with some pretty indispensable B-sides like Highway Child and 51st Anniversary. Experience Hendrix is probably the best one-disc collection, and Voodoo Child, the Jimi Hendrix collection, is the best two-disc collection, albeit disc two is all live material and a little bit sketchy in places. Um, But that's all for this time round. Thank you very much for listening again. Until next time.